The content of this podcast should not be considered financial or investment advice. All interviews and discussions are opinions only, and the podcast has been created without taking into consideration the listener's financial objectives, financial situation, or needs. Listeners should obtain independent advice before making any financial decisions. G'day, this is Barry Fitzgerald, Garen Perro columnist for Stockhead. Welcome to another edition of the Explorers Podcast. Today we're catching up with Alma Metals, that's A-L-M-A, Alma Metals. The ASX code is A-L-M, trading at 1.1 cent for a market cap of $9.5 million. So it's right where Garen Perro likes to see junior explorers. Now, Alma was a uh, focused on African coal and power plays uh, a few years back, but it's pivoted towards copper, particularly copper in Australia. And we have uh, the managing directors with us today, well known around the traps in uh, the WA mining circles, Fraser Tabiart. G'day, Fraser. Welcome to the show. G'day, Barry. Thanks for thanks for hosting me, Fraser. You've, uh, as I said, there's been a pivot by the company, and uh, the sole focus now is copper. So, give us a feel for why, of all the commodities, you've decided on copper. Yeah, well, I guess it sort of goes back quite a long way. I mean, personally, I've had quite a lot of uh, exposure to copper as a geologist, particularly. I guess uh, 15, 20 years ago, when I was with uh, WMC Resources, uh, did a lot of work with them in uh, in the Philippines, working around Tampak, and and then got involved with their global sort of uh, project generation team. And I focus very much on copper, particularly the uh, the porphyry copper style deposits. You know those large, low grade deposits that occur in sort of volcanic island arcs uh, around the world. So yeah, I, I have. A strong background there, and I've always yeah been intrigued by that style of mineralisation, and, and wanted to to you know continue working with that. Now, in the case of uh, of Alma, uh, what it was formerly uh, African Energy Resources, um, yeah, we had a series of energy uh, projects in Southern Africa. Yeah, we'd got to the point where. Uh, those were best being developed um, as potential uh, power projects, and that you know, required us to to bring in partners with the uh, heavy lifting capacity to be able to do that. So, yeah, the the, the, the company ended up taking very much a, a sort of a, a secondary role there. So we weren't really driving um, our own uh, destiny as much as we would like to. And, and with you know the the world pivoting away from uh, carbon and, and fossil fuels. Um, we thought that was a good opportunity to do the same with the company. And yeah, we've been keeping an eye on some uh, copper opportunities within Australia. Uh, as part of that, we've taken an investment in Caravel Minerals, which has a, a large low-grade copper deposit uh, about two hours' drive northeast of Perth. Um, so, yeah, we were, we were starting to build exposure to, to copper projects. Uh, and I guess the, the sort of the, the crunch came middle of last year when we started negotiating an earning option for a joint venture on a copper project in Queensland. Uh, and so that sort of led to the, uh, the rebranding of the company. And I guess the sort of the underlying fundamental for copper there is, you know, if, if the world wants to sort of, uh, you know, go to a, a, a low carbon or a zero carbon uh, environment, then, you know, copper is one of those absolutely critical metals to allow you or allow us to be able to do that. It's probably the second most important one after steel. Uh, because it's you know used in such a wide range of, of sectors, particularly in the uh, the energy sector, but also information technology and just technology in general. And you know, when you couple that with the fact that there's been 
you know, very few discoveries in the last 10 or 15 years of truly global scale copper deposits. You know, our view is that there's, you know, there's going to be a supply issue around copper in the next three or four years time. To be able to take advantage of that, you want to be developing projects in areas where you can have a relatively quick time frame to develop those projects. So we've deliberately come to a tier one jurisdiction such as Australia and deliberately looking for a flagship project that has your know, access to good quality infrastructure already in place. So that gives you a chance then to be able to develop something in a reasonable time frame rather than having to go through a 10 or 15 year uh, development scenario, which is you know, the norm for, you know, global scale copper projects these days. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so that brings us to central Queensland with the uh, the Briggs project, about 50 kilometres uh, west of Gladstone. Um, you're earning a 70% interest from Canterbury Resources, uh, 15.5 million, $15.25 million spend over nine years. And it comes with a big resource, uh, but you guys are excited about the upside with this one. Very much so. So the, the published resource for that is about 143 million tonnes of 0.3% copper. Now, we, we know that's not big enough, but what's excited us when we've visited the property in the field, when we were doing our initial due diligence and well, with the subsequent work that we've done, is the published resource, you know, outcrops over about a 500 metre strike length. And and I do, you know, let, let's focus on that. It, it outcrops. It, this is copper mineralisation sticking out of the ground. But if we go 500 metres, maybe even 1,000 metres along strike in either direction, we see the same type of rocks, the same type of mineralisation also outcropping with virtually no drill holes into it. Um, we follow that up with, um, you know, strong geological mapping and uh, geochemical soil sampling. Because the system outcrops, the soil sampling is incredibly effective. Um, and we've been able to delineate that the whole system extends for at least two kilometres in strike length. And we know from the limited drilling there that it extends down to depths of at least 500 metres. But very, very few of those drill holes are gone below, yeah, in many cases, 50 to 80 metres. There's probably, um, I think there's only... I think there's about 40 holes drilled into the whole system now and, and only 10 of those go below about 150 metres. So it's still very much open. That depth is very much open along strike. Um, there are areas within it where there is high grade at surface. There are areas within some of the deeper drilling where there are high grades at depth. Um, and it's got all the hallmarks of a large porphyry copper system that just hasn't been drilled enough to adequately sort of define what the total, uh, the resource is and, and, and even what the grade is. So we think there's huge upside in the in the tonnage, and we have published, you know, an expiration target there, uh, you know, in the range of sort of 400 to 850 million tons of additional mineralisation. That's above and beyond the uh, the known 143 million tons, um, and we think you know the, the the range of grades is likely to be between 0.2 uh, and 0.4 percent copper. Um, we're obviously hoping you know, to be towards the upper end of that. Um, but yeah, very, very exciting. You know, it's a, an opportunity where you can see very quickly being able to add significant tonnages to this through through drilling, um, and that's exactly what we're uh, we're intending to, to do over the next three months. I'm sure investors are well aware that you just can't make exploration targets up; they have to be technically soundly based, which is uh, the situation here. And when you look at that uh, that upper range, you've got there more than 800 million tons potentially. What so theoretically? a 3 million tonne kind of in-situ copper deposit. 
Exactly. Yeah, and that's the sort of scale that we think you ultimately need to make these projects work. I mean, yeah, there's, there's a few things that need to happen in your favour to make a 0.3% copper deposit work. Um, you need good metallurgy. And the limited metallurgy that's been done to date on this uh, has been highly encouraging. We're getting uh, very, very high copper recoveries um, into concentrates at saleable grades. Um, we can certainly improve on that, but we, you know, at the moment we're getting sort of 92 to 95% copper recovery from the limited work that's been done. So that's very encouraging because it means you're going to get uh, a good payability on the majority of the metal that, that comes out of the grade. Um, you need good infrastructure, uh, and we have that. You know, we're, as you said, we're, we're only um, you know, less than an hour's drive to the west of Gladstone, which is a, a deep water port, so there's, uh, there's the, the chance of being able to export large volumes of, of concentrates. Um, we've got good access to road, rail, and power. Um, and you know, notwithstanding the, the current energy crisis, we believe that energy costs in Queensland will be very competitive with anywhere else in Australia. And very green by the sounds of it. If, uh... Potentially very green, exactly. Um, and you know, our, you know, the, the resource sits you know, only 10 kilometres away from that sort of uh, infrastructure corridor. So that's highly encouraging. Um, yeah, and, and you know, we've been able to look at the work that people like Caravel Minerals have been doing on a, um, you know, their resource uh, here in Western Australia. Um, so there's quite a few metrics out there now from their pre-feasibility study, you know, what type of projects will work um, at 0.3% copper and, and, you know, what are the key areas you need to focus on. So we're very pleased with what we've seen so far. You know, we think we've got excellent infrastructure as good as anywhere. You know, the mineralisation is outcropping, um, which means there is the potential for low strip ratios um, when we ultimately get to, to mining an open pit, you know, assuming that the resources expanded and the studies warrant that. Uh, but at the moment, it's ticking all of the boxes that we would like to see to, to suggest there, there may well be something here that could be developed uh, in a reasonable time frame. And, and that's obviously our focus over the, you know, the foreseeable future as we go through that earning phase is, is doing more drilling, um, building the resource, building our knowledge of the geology and the, and the distribution of the grade, um, and then ultimately putting that through you know, a series of technical studies. Yeah, we, we hope to be at a point uh, within the next 12 months where we have enough information to increase the size of the resource, uh, have a significant uh, proportion of that uh, as an indicated resource, and then be able to do a scoping study on that and, and publish the results of a scoping study on a resource which is you know, predominantly uh, indicated uh, category or better. That's obviously early stages, but uh, we do have a uh, you've mentioned the Caravel project over there in the west. I was just wondering, uh, what sort of copper price do these uh, things fly, really fly? Well, it comes down, I guess, you know, to some of those technical things, but certainly the copper prices that we've seen on average for the last two or three years, um, these projects you know, do, do fly. They, they make uh, good money. You know, so if, if we said, let's, let's, for argument's sake, let's say copper was at $10,000 a tonne. That's not there at the moment because of you know, the... Current funk. <laughs> Current fun and games that are going on. But, you know, it was pretty close to that. If you, if you took the average for the last two years, you wouldn't be far off that mark. And, and that says, you know, 0.3% copper, you know, the way I look at it, that means you've got $30 a tonne of in situ value. Um, so it relies then on having, uh, if you can mine and process uh, your material for somewhere in the, you know, $10 to $12 per tonne range, you've got a, you know, a good buffer there to be able to repay the capital investment and make a profitable return. 
Um, so that, those are the sorts of numbers that we we think. You know, now, if we look at where copper's heading, notwithstanding you know the, the current market, but if we look at long term, you know, if the world is to go to a low or zero carbon economy, as I said before, you know, copper is a critical metal for that, and we think, you know, and not just us, but you know, there's a lot of commentary out here from people far smarter than I am that you know, copper demand is going to go from 22, 23 million tonnes a year that it currently is to somewhere between 35 and 40 million tonnes of copper a year. Um, you know, that's you know, almost a doubling of the amount of copper that needs to be produced to, to you know, reach net zero by 2050 or 2060. Um, now, that you know, when you translate that into what needs to be discovered, you're talking, you know, having to find, you know, one US condita every year for the next 10 years to make up that gap. Um, and that's just not happening. So inevitably, that's going to put upward pressure on copper prices. So we're very firm believers that, you know, the long-term outlook for copper is very robust. Um, and it's not an element that's likely to be substituted. You know, it's still, you know, the most uh, affordable, best conductor of electricity. The only metals better are silver and gold. And obviously, you're not going to use those for conducting electricity. Uh, so copper's copper's the key for that. Yeah, it's in all all the wirings and all electric motors are still copper wiring. It's um, absolutely critical. So yeah, our, we take a long term view. You know, we recognise these projects do take time to develop. Um, we're looking at a development scenario where you know, with the best will in the world, I think you're looking at a sort of a five plus year time frame to get into production from where we are. Probably longer than that. Uh, but we're of a firm view that. If we can get the project to that stage, it will be into a very robust copper market, and you know people will be seeking, you know, these types of deposits, particularly those in in secure jurisdictions where, you know, they know that once production starts, it's unlikely to get stopped. Well, you mentioned Escondida, the world's biggest uh, copper mine there in Chile, uh, owned by BHP in Rio, and BHP has been on the front foot, of course, recently, saying uh, they expect copper demand to. Uh, uh, double in the next uh, 30 years uh, with uh, the demand starting to take off, quote unquote, in 2025. So, yeah, more projects are needed. Absolutely, yeah. So you've got that this advanced project in uh, central Queensland, but you've uh, got a nice mix here because you've uh, gone off to, a well, the frontier area, East Kimberley, with um, west of the Cambridge Gulf, which used to be famous for diamonds, but uh, you're obviously looking onshore for copper, sediment-hosted copper. Tell us about that one. Yeah, this is a tremendously exciting opportunity. It's it's come from, you know, we were looking at the, the geological maps of that area and noticed that there were a number of published copper occurrences that had been you know, mapped by government geologists back in the 1960s. Um, and when we looked at the geology there, uh, all of these copper occurrences were occurring at, you know, one or two uh, very distinct stratigraphic levels within the sedimentary package. And when we looked at that sedimentary package and where those occurrences were, there was an obvious parallel to the Central African Copper Belt, which, you know, as, as many of our listeners will know, is, is one of the world's premier copper mining districts and particularly characterised by generally quite high grades. You know, yeah. some of the deposits are being mined at you know, close to 35 or 4% copper. With byproducts too? With significant byproducts of silver and cobalt. So, you know, they're very attractive deposits. And the great thing about them is in many cases they can be mined underground uh, and because they're high grade, the volumes of material that are being moved are not huge, um, and that can you know, give you the potential for uh, you know, if you run it properly, um, a, a mining environment with a very low footprint, and uh, and therefore much better ESG credentials and digging a huge open pit. 
Uh, so, you know, it's attractive from that point of view. Uh, I guess what really attracted us to this area is the fact that, you know, it is on uh, Aboriginal reserves. And as a result of that, there's been virtually no copper exploration since the early 1970s. And the CRA did some work out there and visited a number of these occurrences and confirmed that they were, you know, exactly as, as we thought and as the model predicts, they are, you know, sediment-hosted copper deposits. So all the all of the sort of the geological ingredients are there, uh, and yet this area uh, has been effectively um, out of bounds for exploration for the last 50-odd years. And so, you know, we're, we, we believe this is very much a first-mover opportunity for a very attractive deposit type. And, um, you know, we've spent, I guess, best part of the last year, um, you know, meeting and developing a relationship with the traditional owners of these lands and, and working with their representative bodies to, you know, initially structure um, some early agreements that will give us access for reconnaissance level studies. Um, and then whilst we're doing that, we'll, we'll negotiate a, a broader form exploration uh, agreement with them. And, and you know, we've you know, offered um, the opportunity of forming a joint venture with, uh, with the Balangara, who are the traditional owners, rather than just a typical you know, mining company comes in, pays a little bit of money and, and goes ahead and does its business and, um, you know, pays for some services along the way. You know, we've sort of gone in and sort of said, look, you know, we're not interested in, uh, in anything other than a very cooperative agreement um, with the traditional owners and, and that's what we would like to do from the very beginning. Um, and you know, acknowledging that it's their land, and you know, we 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 hopefully will be welcome guests to, to help explore that and develop it uh, for all parties. So you know, it's taken a year to get to the to the point of, I think, establishing some credibility, and, and I'm very aware that we can destroy that uh, very very quickly if we don't operate correctly and with a huge amount of respect for these people. So you know, we got to that point. Um, I'm just in the process of planning the first phase of reconnaissance um, and, you know, we've got a, a protocol that we go through to sort of, uh, you know, work with Balangara, inform them of the areas that we would like to visit and work on, how we would like to, to do that and uh, then there's a process that we, we go through to look at the cultural heritage and ensure that that, that is uh, is fully protected. And so, yeah, exciting times, looking forward to getting out there and uh, seeing some copper. So the, the forward work program there would be uh, reconnaissance work, validating the exploration model first? Yeah, so first up, go out there, visit the known occurrences. Um, you know, there is some very old data there that the CRA collected, so there are some uh, very broadly spaced stream sediment anomalies there. I'd like to go and visit those as well. Um, and, and then really use the first reconnaissance trip as a, as a sort of planning uh, tool uh, and then go back and the, the plan then is to do a stream sediment survey over the entire package area. I mean, it's a, it's a thousand square kilometres. Uh, we've got over 330 kilometres of strike length of prospective stratigraphy there. So, you know, we'll collect somewhere, I think, between the you know, 500 to 700 samples, uh, sort of one sample per, you know, one to two square kilometres. Um, that'll take some time. Um, you know, it'll be helicopter supported. Uh, we've obviously got the wet season uh, coming up, so you know, we'll see if we can get some of it done before the wet season you know, really starts hampering work. Um, but you know, that'll be what it'll be. Um, but the goal there is to sort of reduce the area of interest from 1,000 square kilometres to, to maybe 100 to 200 square kilometres, and you know, that will then form the basis of the area that we form uh, an exploration joint venture with Balangara on, um, you know, assuming we can uh, conclude those negotiations you know, over the next three to six months. Is there much uh, geological survey data available in that part of the world? 
Very little. Um, yeah, there has been some work done uh, for diamonds. So if we look through the old uh, the WAMAX files that are, that are available online, uh, almost all of the work post-1970 in that area has been for diamonds only. So there's been virtually no exploration for copper other than the reconnaissance work that CRA did in and they withdrew in 1971. So we, ca- we can't find any public information other than the broad scale, you know, one to 250,000 scale geological maps. Um, so it's, uh, as I said, first mover opportunity. Frontier stuff. Fantastic. Okay. And just to round things out, uh, in the southwest terrain there in WA, copper, some copper gold uh, exploration license applications you've got there. What's the... Yeah, so we've, we've got a number of uh, tenements there that have been uh, approved. These were sort of, you know, high-risk, early-stage opportunities that, you know, we acquired, you know, during the early part of our transition back to Australia. And we were, were essentially looking for deposits similar to Caravel or deposits similar to Boddington. And uh, we know that the, the southwest hasn't been as well explored as the rest of, say, the Yilgarn Kraton in, uh, in WA. Um, and, you know, but... You know, the, the, the work is suggesting that these types of deposits, you know, there's, there's no reason why there isn't another Caravelle or another Boddington out there. So, you know, we did some um, high-level uh, target generation. Um, we've applied for those and we've, we've sort of just completed our first phase of sort of reconnaissance roadside sampling over those areas and we're just in the process now reviewing that data and, you know, deciding, you know, which ones of those have enough merit to go forward and which ones we can drop. So that's, uh, you know, work in progress and, um, you know, I'm sure there'll be some ongoing work uh, next season uh, for those um, properties as well. There we go, folks. Uh, a very interesting combination of a, an advanced copper project uh, in central Queensland there and uh, a frontier project in the East Kimberleys and uh, working up some targets in the southwest terrain. So all that for a market cap of $9.5 million. So Lots of leverage there to exploration success in future. So with that, uh, thanks for your time today, Fraser. Interesting story you've uh, outlined for us and uh, we wish you all the, uh, the best with it. Yeah, thanks for the opportunity, Barry. Much appreciated. Cheers.